if the vaccine is ready, you know, researchers are, would be one of the first ones rolling up their sleeve, right? I mean, obviously we don't do that because we want the frontline workers and all the other people to get that first, but, you know, even the vaccine that we're developing, we'd be the first to roll it up and take it. Mm -hmm. So we know that it's safe. This is the Learn With Lyles podcast. I'm Caitlin Jinko, also known as Lyles. I believe that lifelong learning is so important. It allows us to keep improving ourselves and the world around us. And what better way to do that than to hear stories from people of all different walks of life. On the Learn With Lyles podcast, I speak with people whom I think the world needs to hear from and with people whom I just think are interesting. We talk about their lives and the lessons they've been learning along the way. I'm very grateful that you've taken the time to listen. I hope you enjoy and that you keep on learning. Hi, everybody, and thank you for listening to episode 36 of the Learn With Lyles podcast. On this episode, I spoke with Dr. Stephen Barr, who is a professor at my workplace and alma mater, Western University. Dr. Barr is a virologist, and his lab studies emerging pathogens like HIV, Ebola, and coronavirus. Right now, he and his team are actually developing a new COVID-19 vaccine, as well as a vaccine bank that will help to protect us against future corona outbreaks. In our conversation, we talked about how the COVID-19 vaccine works, how the vaccine he's working on will differ from the existing vaccines we have here in Canada, his thoughts on the vaccine for pregnant women and people who are hoping to get pregnant soon, and why the COVID-19 vaccines are safe, necessary, and won't lead to any odd health issues later down the line. I feel like this conversation is just so necessary for people to hear right now. I've had a lot of conversations about the vaccine and have certainly had some questions and even concerns about it. So it was great to talk to an expert in the field to address any worries and to debunk any anti-vaccination myths. I also really enjoyed how Dr. Barr referred to his work as fun. To me, working to stop a pandemic sounds extremely stressful, but I'm happy that he's excited to do this work because it will ultimately help all of us in the long run. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope that you enjoy this very informative conversation with Dr. Stephen Barr. Okay, well, thank you so much for agreeing to be on my podcast. Um, I know that you're super busy trying to fight COVID, so thank you for taking this time. No um, so for our audience, do you mind introducing yourself? So maybe like your name and what you do? Sure. Yeah, my name is uh, Stephen Barr. I'm a professor at Western University, uh, Schulich School of Medicine and Dentistry. So I have a lab in the Department of Microbiology and Immunology. And there I'm a virologist. So I study a lot of uh, nasty viruses such as SARS-CoV-2, HIV, Ebola, all those fun diseases. Mm -hmm. And uh, we uh, basically are involved in you know, a lot of research with a lot of the different labs in the department. So for COVID, we uh, have a team of about seven labs that uh, work together to bring our expertise to understand this disease and try to make our contributions to society. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and yeah, so I wanted to talk to you. Well, first, because I feel like it's so cool that someone from my old university and also from my workplace, Western, is um, working to fight COVID. But also, I know um, 
that the vaccine has raised a lot of anxiety and fear in people lately. So I wanted to talk with an expert about that. Sure. Hopefully I can clear some stuff up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I understand you've been working on a COVID vaccine. Yeah. So about a year ago, um, our team, so our team of seven different labs, we received a grant for just over a million dollars to do three things. Basically, the first thing is to better understand the biology of the virus. Uh, the second is to develop a vaccine. And the third is to actually develop a bank of vaccines for future pandemics. Mm -hmm. And so over the last year, we have been um, you know, growing the virus in the lab and doing a bunch of tests to really understand how it infects cells and animals. And we tried to find ways to interfere with that. And so our ultimate goal is to develop a vaccine that uh, will induce long-lasting immunity in people. Mm -hmm. Wow, interesting. So you grow it in the lab? Yes, that's right. So these viruses, um, they like to infect cells and their whole purpose in life is really to replicate, to divide. And so if you take this virus and you put it on a dish of cells in the lab, the virus will basically infect those cells and make millions and millions of copies of itself. And as it does that, we can take a close look. So we can throw it under a microscope. We can image the virus and look at how it's actually replicating. We have a number of tests that uh, will allow us to understand how it takes over a cell and replicate. So if we can understand how it does that, we can develop drugs or vaccines that target those specific requirements. And basically that halts the replication of the virus. And basically the body then has a fighting chance to overcome the infection and clear the virus from the body. Wow, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so how has all the research been going so far? So the research has been going really well. So the, the, the research community across the world has really banded together and uh, really made a, a stand against this, this disease. And part of that is opening up their labs, their reagents, and all the tools that they developed to share among the community. So we... Uh, are part of that and we have acquired tools from different labs. We've generated our own tools and shared them. Um, basically, we, we use all of this knowledge that uh, the research community has provided to rapidly understand this virus. And this is really unprecedented because the entire world focusing on one disease, it doesn't really happen. Usually everyone has their own disease or favorite disease that they're studying. And uh, the, the fact that, you know, the vast majority of the world jumped onto this disease and tried to understand it really speeded up the process. And so we've learned a lot about the virus in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. And so part of that, uh, that knowledge has really led to some pretty uh, major discoveries in terms of trying to develop a vaccine. And so this virus has a very specific protein found on its surface. And you've probably seen it in the news, but it's called the spike protein. 
So this is really the protein that allows the virus to bind to cells. So if you picture a little ball with suction cups on it, you know how you throw it against the wall and it sticks. So those suction cups are the spike protein. And so basically, if we can interfere with the ability of those suction cups to bind to the cell, the virus can't get in and it can't infect, and then the body can just clear the virus. Hmm. And so all of the vaccines that are, are developed out there right now involve that spike protein. And so there has been some successes, as we all know, because of the vaccine rollouts now, uh, using that as a target for vaccines. And if, if I go into just very briefly on this whole vaccine process, it's, it's, very, it's a very tedious process. Typically, it would take you know, close to 10 years to develop a vaccine and roll it out. Now, because everyone in the world has jumped on, this has really sped up that process a lot. And so that is why we're able to roll out vaccines a lot quicker is because we have all of those different, you know, informations. Mm -hmm. And two of the virus vaccines that have first hit the market, as we know, these mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, these are experimental vaccines. So they've never been tested before in a population just because it's new technology. Now, the, the nature of these vaccines is such that they are, I guess, if you compare them to traditional vaccines, I would call them more bare-boned vaccines. So there's not a lot to them, which makes them a lot easier to produce and uh, safer to use in individuals. And because of that, they can get to market quicker. So they've gone through all of the safety testing and they've shown that it is effective at protecting against infection. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, it's experimental. We don't have this long history of you know, studying it. So we don't know how long the immunity will last with these new experimental vaccines. Mm -hmm. Researchers are hoping that it will last long-term, but if it doesn't, at least it's working for the short-term to allow us to get a grip on this, on this disease. Mm -hmm. Now, there are other, other labs, including our team uh, that have, are developing a little bit more of a traditional vaccine. So these are ones that are a little bit more complicated because they are designed to induce a strong, robust immune response. And so these types of vaccines have been proven to provide much longer term immunity. But of course, because they are complicated, they require more time for development. Mm -hmm. And so We've been working on a platform. Uh, it's based off of one of our team members, Dr. Yong Kang. He had developed this system for HIV a few years ago. So he has some history with uh, this particular vaccine platform. Um, he's got some safety testing already from the HIV study, the clinical trials. So we know that our platform is safe and effective. And so what we're doing is we're taking that platform and basically just redesigning it for SARS-CoV-2. And so we've gone through the process, we've gone through the preclinical trials, and our results look very, very exciting. Um, they are probably one of the strongest immune responses that uh, we're getting from the published vaccines out there. And so we're now trying to push that into the next uh, clinical trial phase. So we're trying to 
recruit some money and get the funding to do that. Mm -hmm. So we're very optimistic that we'll get something here in the next uh, six months uh, to really roll out and maybe it will eventually take over, we hope, um, the vaccinations later in the year where people are getting vaccinated with, you know, a vaccine that will induce long-term immunity where we may not need a yearly booster, for example. Mm -hmm. But we don't know. We have to test that and that's what our, our goal is. True. Oh my gosh, that makes me so happy and excited to hear. It's exciting. It's exciting uh, research. It's just, it's unfortunate that it takes so long. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. we're limited by funding too. So it's, it's, a, it's one of those things where, you know, if we had all the money, you know, we could definitely speed this up. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I understand Canada's point of view where you want to invest in multiple ideas because you don't know which idea is going to work. Mm -hmm. And so you need to try to spread out that money a little bit <laughs> and, yeah. and try to identify the ones that will start to emerge as leading contenders. Mm -hmm. And so we're hoping that ours is going to be one of those and we'll hopefully attract uh, some phase three funding to really take it to the public. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. I hope that the government sees how promising this is. Mm. Um, yeah, so you touched on it a bit, but I wanted to get more into this. I feel like a lot of people have, um, like the anti-vaccination talk online has been going up since uh, talk of the COVID vaccine. And I've spoken to people who feel a lot of anxiety surrounding getting it, like fears that it was developed too quickly and there hasn't been enough time to test it. Um, so what is your response to those kinds of comments? Right. So, I mean, I understand the concerns and it's always good to, to try and get the right kind of information. There are a lot of mis misinformation out there and it's a lot of conspiracy, conspiracy theorists out there. So if, if you're going to make a decision, I, I encourage people to really get the accurate information. And so when it comes to vaccines and Canada's standpoint on uh, the safety of vaccines is extremely high. We have one of the highest stringent safety uh, requirements for vaccines, which is also why it takes a little longer for Canada to, you know, roll out these vaccines as we've seen, because they do their due diligence and they try to make sure that whatever they approve is going to be safe. And so the the, there's three vaccines out there right now. So the two mRNA vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer. And then we have the other uh, vaccine, um, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine as well. And there's others coming. But when these get approved, they look at the data very closely and they will approve based on scientific evidence. Okay. And so a lot of that uh, is really based on a lot of the preclinical and the phase one and two trials. And so the vaccines that are out there right now are safe and they are protecting. And so the, the idea is that we, we want to try and vaccinate as many people as we can to really achieve that so-called herd immunity. And so we need about 60 to 70% of the population vaccinated in order to really um, burn out this virus. Mm -hmm. And so if you think of it as, um, I don't know, like, uh, like a farmer's field, okay, a dry farmer's field and a fire, somebody lights a match, that's that virus getting in there. And then what it's doing is it's going to spread and just burn everything 
everyone that's you know susceptible will be infected okay until you get that vaccine and then what happens is that vaccine creates these big puddles of water in the field that the that the fire can't burn through and what it does is it goes around and tries to find people that basically are not vaccinated mm -hmm. and so what happens is that you get these uh uh this massive infection that occurs until you really put out that fire and the more puddles of water you have the the less root the virus or the fire has to go mm -hmm. until it just burns itself out so i understand that um when people are facing the the decision to whether to get vaccinated or not it's it's proven technology we see it every year with the flu vaccine right so everyone not everyone but <laughs> most people get the flu vaccine every year and there it's really hard to argue you know for or against without having an actual conversation with somebody who is arguing the the, the opposite mm -hmm. but uh i guess my information that i'm giving is that it is safe and if the government you know found out or caught wind of anything that was uncertain or maybe unsafe they would not approve it until there's further studies mm -hmm. and so that's sort of my my advice i guess uh for for vax vaccines yeah, yeah. i like that analogy yeah that is comforting to hear mm -hmm. um but i have heard people say like what's going to happen like what if something bad happens in 10 years because we haven't had like that long of a time to to test and see what will happen after a long amount of time of the vaccine being in someone. Um, well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, without getting into the the science and, and the details about it, but the way that vaccines work, it, it's not one of those things where all of a sudden somebody's going to end up with cancer or some other disease because of the vaccine. Okay, the the way the vaccines are designed are to in, induce our immune system. So basically to train our bodies to recognize a foreign pathogen or a virus. Okay. And so what, what vaccines do is they, they teach our body. They give our bodies the blueprints on how to attack a particular virus, for example. Okay. Typically when we get infected naturally, you know, the healthy person will will be able to um, study that virus in their body and develop a way to attack it. And that usually takes about two weeks, right? So during that time, we're experiencing symptoms, we're feeling crappy, we can't work, our quality of life really drops, okay? But after that, our body learns and then they basically attack the virus. So what vaccines are doing is that they're giving us a head start. So they're basically saying, Okay, if you get vaccinated, we're giving your body the blueprints in order to study a virus that is coming. Okay, so if our body can understand, develop the tools to fight the virus before it comes, as soon as we're infected, within a matter of about two to three days, our body kicks into gear and, and fights off that infection before it has a chance to cause damage in our body. Mm -hmm. And so we, we only take the components of the virus that is required for that learning process. Mm -hmm. And so once it's cleared, our body knows it stores it in our memory for years, forever. Okay. And then, and then the reaction disappears. 
So it's it's the way that it the way that it's designed is is not to induce a disease later on. You know, it, it's one of those uh, things without getting too technical. Um, I guess you have to put the faith in the research community, which has been studying, you know, vaccines and and uh, diseases for many, 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 many years, much longer than ten years. Mm-hmm. And so we know that the 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 nature of these vaccines don't do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like I've heard rumors of people being like something wonky is going to happen, like twenty years later. So. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where you could say that for anything in the world, right? It's, 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 you just have to put faith in science, right? And, and we learn from the past and vaccines have been around for, for decades. And if there's any sort of sign that, you know, a certain vaccine technology starts to induce something that even resembles a disease, it's halted, it's taken off the shelf, it's redesigned, but that hasn't really happened. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where I, if you don't have that sort of scientific background, you're going to have these natural fears and that, that's normal. Right? When people talk about other things that I have no idea about, I'm like, well, well what happens if this happens? <laughs> it's, it's the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's one of those things where if people have questions, I urge them to reach out and, and, you know, email or call uh, an expert. I get emails all the time from people asking, okay, well, tell me more about this vaccine. What does it, you know, consist of? How does it affect the body? Is there any risk long-term? And I'm more than happy to, you know, explain that and make them understand and give them that sort of proper information mm-hmm. that they then use to, to make a decision. Yeah, yeah. This is comforting. Not that I was really all that worried, but it's still yeah. nice to hear this again yeah. from an expert. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it's proof, you know, is out there. Like if if the vaccine is ready, you know, researchers are would be one of the first ones rolling up their sleeve, right? I mean, obviously we don't do that because we want the frontline workers and all the other people to get that first. But you know, even the vaccine that we're developing, we'd be the first to roll it up and take it. Mm-hmm. So we know that it's safe. Yeah. Here. <laughs> um, is there anyone who would be at risk at all in getting the vaccine? Like- so, yes. And, and that is all part of the, um, the health and safety evaluation that, you know, Canada would do. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's, it's more of a, out of abundance of precaution. So it's not to say that the vaccine would, you know, kill this person if they have this disease. It's one of those things where we don't know what it would do, for example, in a immunocompromised individual or in a pregnant individual. Okay. If we don't know, we're not going to recommend it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we don't recommend it because in order to test it, it's unethical really to, you know, say, okay, I want to know what an immunocompromised individual, how they would react to this vaccine. Right. Mm-hmm. So then if you give them the vaccine and something happens, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you don't want to do that, right? And so what, uh, what will happen is that, okay, we, we don't recommend it to people that may not have the proper um, defense to handle the vaccine 
or it may make them extremely sick and therefore the benefit cost benefit in terms of health and and you know unhealth is is not is not worth that particular risk and so that is why we we try to develop this herd immunity 60 to 70% of the population the healthy population right so if we protect our immunocompromised or elderly by putting in other precautions in place trying to keep them from getting infected such as everyone wearing masks or everyone else getting vaccinated so the virus doesn't have a chance to spread in a way that's how we are vaccinating the other individuals that may not be as healthy to handle mounting a strong response to a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely so, makes sense. Yeah. So that, that's why it's saying, well, I'm not going to get vaccinated. But then if you live with an you know, immunocompromised individual, you're putting that person at risk because if you get the virus, you may be able to fight it off. But at the same time, you probably spread it to that person and then they may not be able to fight it off. Mm-hmm. That person may die. So that's kind of the thinking around trying to protect the vulnerable without actually vaccinating them mm-hmm. if it's not been studied. Mm-hmm. True. Um, I do have some friends who are not pregnant, but thinking mm-hmm. maybe in the near future, I want to be pregnant. Right. Do you think that it's a good idea or a bad idea for them to get the vaccine? Right. So that, that's one of those, that's a tough question as well, because obviously that hasn't been studied. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody would probably in their right mind sign up for a study like that. Right. <laughs> it's not worth the risk. Right. But from the trials that have taken place with some of the vaccines that are being tested right now and people that have been trying to get pregnant w- actually did get pregnant. OK, so so they know that some of the vaccines that are being tested right now most likely won't have any adverse effects on people trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you want to take in the right kind of information and and really do some research. And if it hasn't really been studied, then you can't say for sure that it's not gonna have any effect, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, the effect that it has is is not probably gonna be life-threatening, okay, In, in my opinion. But what you need to think about is, okay, what is this vaccine doing to my body that may, you know, prevent me from getting pregnant or would reduce my risk of getting pregnant? Mm -hmm. And so when people get vaccines, what happens is your body reacts to the vaccine because they're trying to ramp up your immune system. You're trying to fight off something that looks like a virus, right, in order to learn how to fight it. And so part of that whole process, the body is taking a lot of energy, a lot of resources. There may be some inflammation, right? Because your body is really trying to rapidly attack something, right? That that's mm-hmm. in your body. And so if your body is doing that and at the same time trying to get pregnant, you know, it, it's not to say that it won't happen, but mm-hmm. why not give your body the best fighting chance of getting pregnant, right? So if uh, I was planning on getting vaccinated, I would wait a month or two and then try, right? Yeah. After that first two weeks, your body will start to, to go back to normal, get back to healthy, calm status, right? Mm-hmm. So what's a month? Not a big deal, right? Yeah. yeah. And of course, people would have to talk with their doctors and, and really go over the pros and cons and 
and, and that. But from from a researcher's point of view, that's my sort of analysis, right? It's if you're planning to get pregnant, why not be in the best shape you can, and uh, just wait a month or two. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to get pregnant, it's probably not the best to do it right around the same time that you got vaccinated because your body won't be as strong to to be able to it's just more of an energy thing too right yeah okay. think about when you get sick right you're really feeling lousy and right. you know tired and and you know you just don't want to do anything <laughs> yeah right? mm-hmm. so um I mean, it's it's one of those things. There's no evidence saying that vaccines are going to cause a deformity or something like that, right? It's more in you know establishing pregnancy, is in in my opinion. So okay, yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, I think that's what some of the fears have been. And mm-hmm. my friends, like maybe mm-hmm. something bad will happen to the baby if I mm-hmm. get vac- the vaccine around the same time. So yeah, I mean, I I I. I'm not a, a physician, so I don't know what they would recommend, but if it was me and, and my wife was trying to get pregnant, I would say, let's just wait a month or two, you know, if, if we're getting the vaccine, you know, the vaccination right away. Yeah. Say, okay, you know what? It's, it's not worth, you know, let's just wait and then get back. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's good to hear. So yeah. I just want to make sure I fully understand. So when you get the vaccine, like into your body, you get like, a little bit of the virus so that your body right. can recognize it and know to attack. Exactly. So I'll just give you a very brief explanation of what that is. So what you're doing is you're trying to train your body to recognize the virus, right? Mm-hmm. And so when a virus enters the body, the thing that our body recognizes is on the outside of that virus. Okay. So if it's a ball, whatever's on the outside is what's going to be, um, recognized by the body. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we take that outside, okay, that spike protein, and we either develop a vaccine that produces just that spike protein. So that protein is floating around in the body, and then the body will recognize it as foreign, bind to it, and basically attack it. Mm-hmm. Uh, other vaccine platforms, uh, such as ours, will use a basically another type of virus as a shell. Okay, so the virus is, is basically dead. It doesn't cause disease, but it's designed to basically hold that spike protein on the surface. So it's like a little ball already that's floating around in the body. Mm-hmm. And so it resembles a little bit more like a virus, but it's completely harmless because it, it can't replicate, you know, it can't kill, it can't infect. It, it's just basically a shell, right? And so the body will then recognize that as a real virus and attack it. Mm-hmm. So when the real SARS-CoV-2 comes into the body, it has its spike protein on the surface and the body says, wait a sec, I've seen you before. I'm going to bind to you and kill you because I know you're bad. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it does that very quickly before the virus has a chance to infect our body. Mm-hmm. And SARS-CoV-2 is the, is COVID-19 basically? Yeah. So SARS-CoV-2 is the virus Mm -hmm. that when it infects a person and they develop disease, the disease is called Mm -hmm. COVID-19. The virus is SARS-CoV-2 and the disease that, that develops Mm -hmm. is referred to as Mm COVID-19. Okay. 
So the only thing that's being introduced into your body is the like fake COVID-2. So the idea that something bad, like you could get cancer later on makes no sense. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. This is great. I think this is anti-vaxxers need to hear this. <laughs> well, it's, I, I know I, I, I've ta- talked to a few of them, right. And, and uh, it's always an interesting conversation. And, and when I try to understand where they're coming from and where they're thinking, it really comes down to misinformation. And there's a lot of people out there that are spreading this misinformation because they, I don't know, because they're angry about something. They're real conspiracy theorists that all they want to do is drum up, you know, mayhem, right? And so people, when they're debating whether they want to take a vaccine or not, they're going to do some searches, right, on the internet. And then they're going to find these sites and say, oh, wait a sec. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. But there's no solid scientific evidence for that mm-hmm. and these anti-vaxxers or these conspiracy theorists you know they use that information because they know that people will eat it up yeah. if they don't know the full you know scientific background mm-hmm. and so that's where it all starts and then you know somebody talks to their friends oh i'm not taking that did you hear it it, it contains whatever or it does this you know and then it's, oh really <laughs> without actually you know going to a true trusted source Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I always have my friends that are, you know, texting me or emailing me. It's like, oh, I saw this, you know, this little thing on the Facebook or whatever. This, this former PhD person said that this is all a hoax or whatever. And then you read that and it's like, right away, you can tell just from the first line that this person's full of it, right? It's like, yeah. not even a PhD person. It's like just people pretending because they like to create chaos. They like to think that the government is out to get us and all this, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's really, I'll go head to head with an anti-vaxxer anytime, anytime. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I don't like to, if, if they don't, you know, if they, if they can't change their mind, if they, if they're coming into a conversation and it's like, yep, no, nope, I don't care what you say. I, I, this is it. Then I'd say, okay, well, I've done my part. And if if you don't want to trust you know the science or trust the real information underlying these things then you're you're not going to be changeable <laughs> so it's no point right yeah true so yeah. it's it's those people that you know that would change their mind with the right kind of information mm-hmm. yeah yeah i feel like this is even helpful for me cuz not that i'm anywhere near being an anti-vaxer but i feel mm-hmm. like I have had like some questions and been like, oh, I'm not really sure. Like I do understand like why there are some worries. Like would I be wanting to get it right away once I'm allowed to? But I feel like this has been helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I'm glad. I and mean, it's, it's education. That's what it is. And yeah. the government tries to do that education on behalf of everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think the resistance is that people don't want to put that trust in somebody else. And, and then, and then, then what do you do, right? If, if you can't trust the people that know what they're doing, mm-hmm. then I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. This yeah. is good. <laughs> um, so you mentioned before that you are developing a vaccine bank. What does that right. mean exactly? Right. Yeah. So this is kind of a, uh, a, a um, idea for the future. And so we know that these, pandemics will happen again 
it, it's it's the nature of these pathogens. So you know, every ten years or so, we had SARS one right when that first came out in two thousand three. Then we had MERS that came out and infected and killed a, a bunch of people. And now we have SARS-CoV-2, right? So every so often, and it, it, you never know the timing, it really just depends. But when the interaction between the human population and the animal population, okay, there's that opportunity for pathogens such as viruses to be exchanged. Okay, and so this we know that these newly emerging viruses that come out of the animal population, such as bats, can infect humans and cause significant disease. And the, the nature of these viruses, when they first jump from that animal species into human species, it's a whole new world for that virus. They've never seen humans before. And depending on the virus, they may have the tools to really spread in that population, just through the way that the virus has been evolving over the years. Okay, so that opportunity will come when you have, you know, hunters that go in for food, or if you have bats or other animals that are interacting with our food source. Okay, that opportunity is always there, and it will always be there in the future because we need to eat, right? Mm -hmm. And so when that virus gets into the human population and it has the ability to survive long enough to spread, that is a concern. And because it's new, it can spread really fast. And that's what we saw when it came out of uh, Wuhan, China, mm -hmm. is that it, it is a disease that knows no boundaries. And it is looking to spread to different regions of the world. There's populations of people that it loves to infect. Mm -hmm. And so the key into really controlling this is acting fast. So as you can see, it's taken a, about a year, maybe just under a year, for us to even develop a vaccine that has the ability to stop the virus. Okay. Mm -hmm. And look what's happened over a year, <laughs> you know, a lot of devastating things, economically, health-wise, quality of life, <laughs> it, it has huge damaging impacts. And so the ability to react quickly is key. Mm -hmm. And so what we're doing is we're surveying a lot of the bat population in, around the world. Mm -hmm. So we've also teamed up with the Royal Ontario Museum, who has thousands, tens of thousands of species of bats and samples that we can screen for coronaviruses similar to SARS-CoV-2. And so what we're doing is we're genetically sequencing basically viruses that are found in their poo, in their tissues, in, their, in, the, in the bat body and trying to understand or predict which one of those viruses has the ability to jump into a human cell. Hmm. And so those ones that do have that ability, those are the ones that we're interested in because eventually those are the ones that will evolve into something that can spread. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is to collect those spike proteins because that's what our body recognizes for immunity and to take that spike protein 
throw it into our vaccine platform, do all the preclinical testing on those. So we would make sure that, you know, they can be used as a vaccine, that they'll be effective as a vaccine, and that they'll be safe as a vaccine. And then we'll store it in the freezer. And so we're hoping to get hundreds, maybe even thousands of these different types of vaccines mm -hmm. that are in our freezer so that when the next outbreak occurs anywhere in the world, the first thing that we would want to do is understand what kind of virus has just jumped into the human population in that outbreak. Mm -hmm. And so we can study that, look at that spike protein, get that genetic information, come back to our bank, search our bank for one that is most similar to that. Mm -hmm. And then what we would do is we'd take it out of the freezer, send it off to a uh, biomanufacturing plant that would then use it to grow more of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And then we could ship it out there to that outbreak very quickly so that the people can be populate or vaccinated and contain that outbreak. Yeah. And so that whole idea of having it in the freezer already could save us six months to maybe even a year of actually research. Yeah. Because we have already gotten to that stage where, okay, yeah, we've already developed the thing. <laughs> we already know it works. Let's, you know, send it out there. And then in the meantime, you know, we can all try to develop other vaccines and stuff like that to treat. Yeah. Wow. That's so that's cool. The idea. Yeah. That's so interesting and like complicated, like so above my head, but so, yeah. so I mean, it's really, you know, we have a problem. Okay. Let's go to the freezer, pull it out. Here's our fix. And then, yeah. you know, there we go. And then, so ideally that's, that's what we are hoping to develop. Yeah. That's and amazing. because I mean, these coronaviruses will continue to pop up because they're, they're in the, in the animal population and they're not going there. They've been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, mm -hmm. thousands, maybe even millions of years. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things of being prepared ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that our lockdown is lifting soon. I wonder what your thoughts are on our preparedness to reopen. <laughs> oh, I know it's, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those tough, tough uh, decisions, right? Because you understand that people need to get back to life. We have to learn to, to live with this virus. Mm -hmm. um, we can, if we're safe. But the problem is not everyone is safe, right? If we do proper hygiene, proper, you know, mask control, proper social distancing, the virus really would have no place to go. <laughs> it's the people that don't want to do that or are tired of doing that. And they, they lax their, their protective measures and then they get infected. And then the whole cycle repeats again. <laughs> so ideally when this outbreak or this pandemic occurred, let's say the whole world was infected. Mm -hmm. We could have, we can totally get rid of this virus in a matter of three weeks. The problem is nobody would want to do it. Yeah. If we told everyone to lock themselves away in their house for three weeks, maybe a month. Okay. You know, stock up on all your food. And then all of a sudden one month, we're all locked away in our houses. The virus would have nowhere to go. It would burn itself out. We would kill off any virus that's around. And then we get back to normal. Mm -hmm. But obviously, because of the way the, econo the economy works, all that kind of stuff, people want to get out there. It, it would never happen. <laughs> and now we're facing, you know, sort of the consequences of that. 
a disease that's been around for a year and in my opinion will be around for at least another year oh no yeah it doesn't mean that we need to lock down for a whole year but the lockdown is what really slows down the spread mm -hmm. and we're hoping to slow it down enough so that we can get vaccinated right to protect mm -hmm. now of course the virus, okay, it's a virus. And what viruses do is they try to survive. They will mutate. They will try to find ways to outsmart our body. And so what we're seeing now with the emergence of these new variants is exactly that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the virus is not a single entity. It's a collection of viruses that are very, very, very similar but different in very subtle ways. Mm -hmm. Most of those won't be able to survive, but one or two of those that has that mutation that perhaps gives it a better chance of survival in the body will survive and grow up and infect. And that's mm -hmm. what we're seeing with variants. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's, it's one of those things where it's still the same virus the same measures will still protect it. It's just that it's finding a way to um, survive better. Maybe that's by being more infectious, although we haven't really proven that conclusively yet. It's just one of those things where we have to keep an eye on it, right? And, and don't let our guard down because if we do, then all of a sudden that pressure that we've been holding on that virus is released. And the virus says, oh yes, now I can go and infect more people. Yeah, that's what's going to happen when we start releasing these lockdowns is you're increasing interaction with people. Mm -hmm. And that interaction gives people or gives the virus a chance to jump into a new person. Yeah. So my opinion with the lockdowns is that they they can be released safely if everyone is dedicated to making sure that safety precautions are in place. Mm -hmm. But like I said, not everyone thinks that way. And so that's what the government wrestles with. It's a balance, right? How much can we release things to keep the economy going, but still let people live and, you know, it's tough. And if there's a third wave that comes, then what do we do again? We're going to lock down again, right? And try to slow that virus. Hopefully by then we'll have a number of different vaccines available mm -hmm. that we can really vaccinate the population. Yeah. But the key here is really in the vaccinations. Because yeah. like I said, if you think of that farmer's field, there's lots of grass to burn if people aren't getting vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So the same thing will apply, you know, with this third wave or fourth wave or whatever, right? Yeah. It could become a yearly thing, like the flu for all we know. <laughs> we just don't know. Yeah. We're just trying to really protect the vulnerable because this virus, obviously, as we know, can kill the vulnerable very quickly. And that's the difference between this and let's say, you know, a common cold, right? It's, it's, it's killing power is a lot higher in the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. is why we need these much, you know, these bigger measures. Yeah. And these vaccines work against the new variants? So far, that's what we're testing. And so there's, there's some differences in protection that are starting to emerge. And so the, it will also depend on the person and the specific type of variant that is circulating. But uh, I'll just say that there are labs around the world right now that are testing that. And mm -hmm. 
and nobody has reported that their vaccine is completely ineffective, okay. which is good. Yeah. So um, they are still looking at it very closely. It's still fairly new. So there needs to be a number of tests that need to take place. And we typically use, you know, small animals for these kind of tests. And that takes time. So typically those experiments could take about a month to, to really understand. So I think in the next month or two, we'll have a much clearer idea of how effective the current vaccines are and whether the new ones that are going to be emerging in the next the vaccines are going to be emerging in the next couple months are better. Mm -hmm. okay. So either way, you, you still want to protect yourself and they are effective. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good to hear. Mm -hmm. I wonder, do you not feel like super stressed in your job? Like I feel like when your job is known to be like, stop pandemics, like, mm -hmm. When we're in the midst of a pandemic, do you not feel like lots of pressure? Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, but we're always feeling pressure as, as research scientists. We're, we're always, you know, trying to um, come up with that, you know, drug or that, that vaccine. And the pressure that we feel is that we just never seem to have enough money to do what we need to do. <laughs> That's where the most pressure comes from. Yeah. But uh, in terms of progress, I mean, it, we are doing the, the things that will take us from A to B in the shortest amount of time. So going from, you know, understanding the virus to developing a vaccine. How can we do that in the straightest line? Mm -hmm. Typically, we would want to, you know, research many different interesting findings about the virus, right? That will give us a better, broader understanding of how it survives and blah, 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 blah. But that information is not always needed for developing a drug or a vaccine. Mm -hmm. We're looking for Achilles heels or just that, you know, weak point in the armor that we can exploit, you mm -hmm. know, to, to stop the virus. So uh, I wouldn't say that there's, I mean, there's pressure obviously to, to really, you know, get out of the situation. Sure. But it's not to the point where, you know, it's like, Oh, I can't, I can't, <laughs> you know, this is too much yeah. <laughs> okay. as researchers. This is like, this is exciting for us. Because you know it's 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 fun to test different ideas and and to and to really find something that that works mm -hmm. and uh, we are we are finding things there's there are drugs that are in the pipeline that are coming down as well for those that are infected and seriously ill and mm -hmm. so there's lots of uh, hope in terms of treatment coming in the next uh, few months yeah oh, so exciting <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, for people who are listening to this, what is the main thing that you would want them to take away from this conversation? Um, I would say that, you know, it's, it's not a permanent situation. So a, pand a pandemic is serious, absolutely. It's one of those things where if you don't do anything, it will get out of control and out of hand. Mm -hmm. So my advice is, is to really you know, listen to the health experts in terms of the guidelines that they're issuing for social distancing, wearing masks, you know, sanitizing your hands, getting vaccinated. Those are things that everyone can do in order to stop this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the biggest things that people I think are starting to face is this, you know, I'm getting tired of this. I'm tired of doing this. I'm getting tired of wearing a mask and, you know, that kind of, yeah. that kind of thing. And that's normal. I mean, even I get tired of wearing a mask, but you still do. Mm 
right? If, if, if you want to make sure you get out of this, then everyone has to band together and really look out for one another. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you can't just say, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going, you know, the grocery store, <laughs> I'm going to be touching everything. I don't care, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the people that fuel the, the, this pandemic. And so I think you just got to stay optimistic and think in the long term. Okay, this, you know, pandemic is a serious thing and, and it could take a couple of years to really get back to normal. Mm-hmm. And so it's not something that's going to get back to normal overnight. Mm-hmm. I think patience is going to be a virtue when it comes to <laughs> fighting this particular disease. Yeah, oh man, I can't wait. To... Oh, I know. It's going to be so strange to, to oh, actually gosh. go in place without a mask or, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it works. I mean, if you look at, you know, the flu infections or other common colds, they're down quite a bit. So just simple awareness of how viruses work and bacteria for that matter, but how they work will hopefully give us new insight in the future to really reduce these infections that are very, you know, annoying, <laughs> like the flu or these other common colds. Mm-hmm. And so with everybody taking that little extra step to, you know, wash their hands before touching their face or, you know, not touching too many things or going into work when you're sick, those kind of things will really reduce overall infections around the world. Mm-hmm. And that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully at least some like awareness has come out yeah. of this. Exactly. And I think, well, hopefully, I mean, <laughs> we'll be in it for about a couple of years. So hopefully that's a habit that sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I just have my last questions that I um, ask everybody. So the first four are just kind of like quick and fun and lighter than <laughs> the intense mm-hmm. conversation that we've been yeah. having. Um, so the first is, what are you reading right now? What am I reading? Mm-hmm. So right now I'm reading everything about uh, COVID. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, there's not much time right now for me to do a lot of extra reading. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the reading that I do. I sort of uh, um, take a break here and there just by watching some of these shows that are starting to come out on TV that are, <laughs> you know, the kids shows that, you know, and it's, that helps get the mind fresh and off of work. Right. So. Yeah. For my kind of job, I can't be, you know, reading 24-7 science because yeah, then true. the mind gets stale and the ideas start getting stale. You need to turn it off here and there. So yeah. we've been puzzling quite a bit. That's that's something that's, you know, different as well. And mm-hmm. getting into those Disney shows of Mandalorian and all those fun, yeah, <laughs> fun the, the kids are, are liking. So yeah, the next question uh, was going to be, what are you watching right now? Yeah, so that's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're watching a lot of those, uh, so the, I guess there's WandaVision, you know, all those, you mm-hmm. know, the Mandalorian, Star Wars ones, started to go back and watch Breaking Bad again with the kids, <laughs> kids are a little bit older now, so they mm-hmm. can, uh, they can enjoy that, and yeah, it's, it's, there's always something long that's, that's fun to watch. Yeah. What are you listening to right now? <laughs> Oh, I listen to pretty much any kind of music that's on. Uh, We have those, you know, prime video music or whatever, prime music. Love just going through all the different playlists, you know, the hip and all those fun, uh, cool bands that we used to grow up to. So, Mm -hmm. 
Nothing Do you have a favorite quote? Favorite quote? Well, I would say there's lots of great quotes out there, but uh, I don't have a very specific one in mind, but it's always about thinking big and, you know, nothing ever becomes, you know, thinking small. So you always have to think big and not worry about, you know, the little things you got to think big picture. Mm -hmm. Nice. I like that. Mm -hmm. um, then my last two questions, they're about learning because the podcast is called Learn Flows. <laughs> um, so what's something you're learning right now? Um, so what am I learning? I am learning that pandemics are terrible. <laughs> Not everyone can live and survive a pandemic, right? Um, so I'm, I'm learning that, you know, people, people love to socialize. Okay. And that's, that's, that's nature, that's human nature. But I think what I've learned is that people need to so socialize a lot more than, than what uh, we think. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I look at my friends and, and other, you know, family, socializing is, is a major part of life. And so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm just learning that we need to socialize. Mm -hmm. And when we don't socialize, things get very depressing for people. And something that's probably something I didn't quite um, appreciate in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, oh yeah, they're a, they're a socialite, you know, they love to socialize. But then I think about it and it's like, okay, even, you know, me, I need to socialize. And when you, when you have that taken away, it does some really strange things to mm -hmm. people. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that I've learned. Yeah, I agree for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one is what's the biggest lesson you've learned in life so far? In life? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the biggest lesson is, is really to follow your, your passion, right? And so for me, I, when it came to work, my passion was really science and research and really understanding the unknown. And so for me, I think, um, I think following your passion is probably one of the biggest things in, in life that I've learned, mm -hmm. because if you don't, you're going to end up very miserable. <laughs> and uh, I've been fortunate enough to really go down a path that um, has really allowed me to be passionate about what I do. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, that's probably the biggest. Yeah, that's awesome. That's the life dream to yeah. work that you're passionate about. Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't consider it work. And it's, it's more, I guess, fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, and not everyone has that. And I understand that. And, and people who do end up doing that are, I think, very lucky. And so I consider myself very lucky to, to be in that situation. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. This is great. I yeah. feel like it will be very helpful. Hopefully, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and it's, it's one of those things where I just make sure people get the right kind of information out there.